Hello, everyone, and welcome again to the Be The Church podcast, where we are engaging in conversations that will encourage you to live out your faith in everyday context so that you can be the church. Yes, I almost didn't make it through, but I did. I'm your producer, Isaiah Fetterman. I'm your host, Kevin Anderson. And I'm your other host, David Dominguez. And we are continuing to go through... um, Gentle and Lowly, the book that I'm holding right here. If you were not watching and just listening, you're missing out. But here it is. Bada bing, bada boom. If you would like to get this book, we have plenty of copies and we would love to send it to you. So you can either come to us on Sunday at church and say, hey, I was wondering if I could get to Gentle and Lowly book. Or you could send us an email at, uh, David, do you know our email? Yes, at podcast at alatheagainesville.com. Fantastic. See, even David knows. So that means you do, you do too now. And be honest, did you ask David because you didn't? Know? No, no, I, I remembered. I just, you know, I always say it and I thought maybe I should have someone else say it for once. So here we are. Um, and if you would like to hear the questions, you can always email us and we'll send you a link to uh, the little booklet. Uh, but other than that, we're going to get started in chapter nine. But before we talk about the specifics specifics of chapter nine, uh, Kevin, what is gentle and lowly about? Yeah, so I'll try to keep it short because we've done this eight or nine times now. True, um, very true. Really, this book is about the heart of Jesus Christ and um, tr- trying to understand who He really is, what is natural to Him, what ignites. Um, his heart towards sinners and sufferers like us. Uh, this book was written for those that are discouraged, frustrated, weary, uh, disenchanted, cynical, empty, um, frustrated with themselves. It's it's written so that we might understand how God's heart is postured towards us, what he thinks, what he feels about us as sinners and broken people. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the reasons we're reading this book is it kind of takes these ideas from our head and tries to really put it in our heart to understand the relationship we have with Christ and to be able to apply that um, and really just experience that, not just knowing it, but experiencing that and understanding that. So that is what we are hoping to encourage you guys in today. Um, David, since uh, you've come on, I love to give you this question and I'm going to do it again. Um, uh, what is a quick overview or focus for this chapter? Yeah. So chapter nine focuses on reminding us that Jesus is our advocate. So if you remember last episode, we talked about Jesus being our intercessor, which is he brings two parties together. He brings us together to, to God. And so in this, in this chapter, he tries to focus on this idea that Jesus not only does that and intercedes for us, but he actually advocates for us. That is, he, he aligns himself with us, which is so encouraging just to know that in the midst of our sin, Jesus is aligned with us. He is our advocate. So we 
for sure encourage you if you're listening to this episode and have yet to listen to the previous one, um, we would encourage you to do so because both of these concepts interlock and intertwine in the book. And so we will in our discussion today as well. Absolutely. And there, as David said, there will be some uh, comparisons and uh, some contrast that we will be going over in this episode. So listening to the last episode will be helpful. Uh, shameless plug, go listen to the last episode. Uh, um, actually just go listen to all of them. What can I say? Um, you know, the goal is to encourage you guys and that is what we ultimately want. So, um, we, we do this in a way to hopefully do that. Um, but without, uh, plugging anymore, um, let's start talking about this chapter. And the first question I have, Kevin, I'm going to direct at you conveniently like I always do. Um, what is the difference between an intercessor and an advocate? And how does the notion of advocacy develop that of intercession? Um, I think I'd say this first, maybe, because I think the distinction that Dane makes in the book is is helpful. Because I think most naturally, um, most most of the time, I think I'm quick to assume they, they kind of mean the same thing. Um. In in the English language, they kind of do, actually. For the for the most part, there's a there's a lot of uh, overlap, and, and even in the Greek, there's a lot of overlap. But um, there is there is distinction between the two Greek words uh, in the New Testament. Um, so intercession um, has this idea of um, mediating be- between two parties and bringing them together. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, I'm trying to think of an example, but you know, it's you got. You might have two people that are fighting, and the intercessor goes, "Hey, why don't we have we, we used to call it at least in school peer mediation, right? Like just getting the two parties in in the room to to work it out um, when when they wouldn't work it out. Advocacy is similar, but once the two parties are brought together, it's the idea that the advocate would align him or herself with uh, one of the two sides as they approach one another, and. You know, when I when I think about an advocate, I be ready, right? Pastor going on to a, an example or an illustration, <laughs> right? Uh, but when I when I think about an advocate, I think about my son Josiah. I know he's right. in illustration a lot, but um, he has medical issues, and um, we are often his advocates in the hospital, and, and we act as intercessors to an extent as well. Like we'll take him to his doctor's appointments, or we'll take him to the doctor, right? Where we're bringing him into this need for care. Um, but really, as his representative, we are deeply concerned with his care, the quality of care that he receives, the type of care that he receives, the medication he might be given, the protocols that the doctors might follow uh, when he's in need of um, emergency care. And so, um, you know, the word that, I, that, that comes to my mind a lot is that we're with him in solidarity. Like, I don't feel the pain and whatever else he's feeling, but like my my care, my attention, and my discussions with his doctor or his nurses or whatever his care team might be is is as if as if the medical emergency is happening to me. He's on. He's often, even though he's still young, so he probably wouldn't be able to verbalize it anyway. But he's he's unable to to verbalize and um, respond to the type of care he would need. He also doesn't understand the medicine, right? We as his parents have gone the extra mile to study, learn, understand not the full scope of medicine, 
but sure. his particular issue right. and know how he tends to respond when he's in these medical emergencies. So um, biblically, you know, intercession is the idea that Christ is always um, making sure that that we're being taken care of. In the, in the same way with intercession for us as, as Josiah's parents, uh, we're making sure he has care and is receiving his medication, right? That's our intercession for him. Like there's always a connection. We always make sure he has a doctor or whatever else. Our advocacy shows up when he has a medical emergency and we are instructing the care team on protocols, proper medications, et cetera. And this, I mean, this is a real thing. If anyone's ever, you know, you as a uh, occupational therapist, David, understand this. He's um, even wearing the garb for it today. He is. He came straight. He came straight here. Wow. Um, on time. You guys have protocols yeah. and things that you guys are followed, you're taught and trained to do, but that doesn't mean it works with every single patient mm, you guys yeah. have. Um, sometimes patients, if they have an advocate, will step in and be able to explain to you, hey, that protocol doesn't work as well as this protocol. We're going to move this way and go this way. Yeah, that was that was a very good explanation. I'm not even going to try to add <laughs> much to that. Sure. Um, a couple of things that I did want to um, just kind of like tie a bow to there to the end, because the biggest things that I think, like you said, that he uses within the book to separate and help us understand these two is that one is going on all the time, right? Intercession is constant all the time. And then advocacy is with specific situations, right? So that's kind of the two differences um, that he highlights in the book. And where I think this becomes like really, really practical is when we think of our own personal life, we're like, okay, Jesus is always interceding for me, right? Like he's always uh, mediating, bringing us before the Father, right? But this idea that Jesus is our advocate is 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 very different because someone can bring you to somewhere like you can take your son to the hospital and then say you're on your own kiddo right. goodbye or just be like i don't actually care i'm not aligned in the situation I'm, i just i'm just bringing this party here but this idea that no you're not just taking him there you're now aligning yourself with him and and you care about him right and what his care is and what's going to go on so what this chapter is trying to get us to understand is that Jesus doesn't just bring us to the presence of the Father and say, you're on your own, Kevin. He says, I am aligning myself with you now. And so in the midst of our sin, that's who Jesus is for us. Not just someone who gets us to the table, but who also aligns himself and advocates for us while we're there. I think Dane, in the book, uh, he puts it this way, just kind of describing the differences between the two says, you know, Jesus intercedes for us because of our general sinfulness, right? That's all the time. Um, but he advocates for us in the case of specific sins. Mm -hmm. So it's specific, it's personal, and and I think it's really encouraging. Yeah, I, think, I know we're going to get into this more in just a minute, but, you know, one of the things I think we'll take away as we as we work through this today and think through this is the, the freedom and liberation that can come for us mm -hmm. personally yeah. when you have someone advocating for you on your behalf, you know, know, knowing that Christ isn't just bringing us, you know, into the presence of the Father so that we can then plead on our own behalf, but he's actually doing the pleading for us, and we'll get to maybe some of the, the more beautiful theological nuggets from, from that that we take out of the book, but it's it's liberating. Yeah, we will definitely get there. <clears throat> so 
now that we've kind of distinguished between these two ideas, between uh, intercessor and advocate, um, what are some truths about Jesus, the advocate, as taught in 1 John 2, 1? Yeah. So why I'm going to just read the the part of 1 John 2, Brilliant 1 idea. that he kind of highlights. Yeah. Because, um, well, actually, why don't we read the whole the whole thing of 1 John 2, 1? Let me pull it up real quick. Because I he he only he focuses on the part that talks about Jesus being our advocate, mm-hmm. but I think the whole verse gives us much more. Um, it says, "I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous." So to to answer your question, Isaiah. I think this verse is trying to help us understand this natural tension that we're going to experience within the Christian life, right? And that is that we're not to sin. We're, we're not supposed to sin, right? And that is definitely our goal as believers. It, it is, I, he has this great line in, in the book where he's like, um, that like grace doesn't come basically like with just like, gr- grace doesn't come with uh, just ignorance of like laws or consequences or or sin like like that's not what is being preached in in this verse but with the real with the realization that we are sinful broken people who will make mistakes and what this verse is is pointing us to is that hey you are going to sin you are going to make mistakes but that shouldn't lead you to pure desperation or or just flat out hopelessness Mm -hmm but instead should should help you realize that how thankful we ought to be that we do have hope, that we have an advocate with the Father. And so as we ought not to sin, we do have a good advocate with the Father when we do. Um, and, and, and Dane puts it this way, because I think it, it's kind of like this idea of like all-encompassing. It kind of reminded me of the verse that we went over last week where he says, you know, where he, where he talks about Jesus saving to the, to the uttermost, right? And this same idea, like his advocacy is present because of our sin. Mm. So it's like we all sometimes get this idea where we're like, oh, I don't deserve Jesus's advocacy if I'm not good. It's like, no, like the reason you need his advocacy is because you're not right. good. Right. So yeah, he puts it this way. He says his advocacy speaks louder than our failures. Mm. And that's something that kind of to Kevin's point, like if you think what this book is about, it's about who Jesus is. And this chapter specifically is who Jesus is in the midst of our sin. And he's a good advocate. Yeah, I love it when you look at verse 1 there. Right. He says, but if anyone does sin, we have. Not like we had, not we will have. Yeah. We have, right? It's this ever-present promise. You know, Jesus is like, you know, if, if, if we're understanding this verse correctly, he's like the lawyer on retainer. You hope you never need him, but if you do, he's there. And then I love that next part. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So he's not just an advocate. He is the advocate. Right. Right? Like, it's like, again, using the lawyer analogy, the best one you could get, right? The one that knows the law inside and out, right? Which... Jesus does right. know the law yeah. inside and out, right? He's the only one to have fulfilled it perfectly, right? So 
you know, it's this, it's this beautiful kind of reminder of he's ever present and he's actually able to advocate on our behalf. He is actually able to speak to the Father. He's actually able to make an appeal to the Father. He's actually able, right, to use all the theological jargon we we would want, right, to to reiterate expiation and propitiation and <laughs> right, like he's able to reiterate all these things for us. He, if you are a follower of Jesus, this is your ever-present reality of who Christ is for you. Yeah, absolutely. I think <clears throat> those are all excellent points that really point us to uh, you know some of these differences between intercessor and advocate, not necessarily to make one sound like less than the other, but to see that we need both of them and that they're both super, super valuable and super insightful in a way that encourages us in both uh, distinctions. Um, And I really think uh, there's a great quote uh, by John Bunyan uh, that I would like David to read from page 90 for those of you who have been reading along. Yeah, so in page 90, that's where I'm going to be reading. And like you said, this is from... John Bunyan himself says, Christ as priest goes before, and Christ as an advocate comes after. Christ as priest continually intercedes. Christ as advocate in case of great transgressions pleads. Christ as priest has need to act always, but Christ as advocate sometimes only. Christ as priest acts in time of peace but Christ as advocate in times of broils, turmoils, and sharp contentions. Wherefore, Christ as advocate is, as I may call him, a reserve, and his time is then to arise to stand up and plead. When his own are clothed with some filthy sin that of late they have fallen into. So he's making kind of the same distinction, I would say, more eloquently probably than than we are between the two roles that we've been discussing these past two weeks. But what I love about that quote is two things specifically. It's very specific and personal, okay? So the first thing we see is that the advocacy that we receive from Jesus is personal because it is himself who is aligning with us and it's specific because he's saying what it's when it arises or when it's necessary and it's directly with in response to our sin right and you know in in the book he 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 puts it this way he's like you know our salvation is not a matter of a saving formula but a saving person right and i feel like oftentimes we think of our sin in the inverse we view it as a formula oh, I sinned, I do this, I don't do that, and then now I'm forgiven. Instead of realizing like, oh, I sin, I actually have a person who can advocate for me before the Father. Um, so yeah, I love that quote. Absolutely. <clears throat> and I, something I kind of mentioned at the beginning that I, I really love about this book is we've kind of taken this view of ideas and kind of an intellectual approach towards some of this. And then there's this really big push to see how does it apply and how does it affect us 
and how can we see it arguably transform our lives? Um, so the question then is, do you see yourself or sorry, in yourself, the deep seated impulse to self advocate? How does the truth of first John two, one heal and calm that impulse? Yeah. Who doesn't, right? (laughs) Truly. I mean, a lot of times I think people don't even realize we do it, you know, um, you know, so first and foremost, right. We still sin. We would likely all agree if we're at least professing followers of Jesus that that choosing to sin as a follower of Jesus is not liberating or life-giving. So um, self-advocacy, at least for me, is my own feeble attempt to explain away my behavior um, when I know it's without excuse most of the time. And, and, And I use that word excuse very, very intentionally. It doesn't mean it might not be without reason, but it's without excuse. Does that make sense? Like, like reasoning explains why you make it a behavior. Excusing tries to explain it away right. and make it okay. And, and I, use, so I use that word very, very intentionally. Um, I think when I attempt to be my own advocate, to, to come to my own defense um, as to why my behavior, my actions, or my thoughts were okay, in reality, I know that it's not what, what I'm really doing when you boil that down, is minimizing sin. Mm-hmm. Really, at the end of the day, that's what you, you do. And for any of you guys that are listening who have ever gone through Bob Thune and Will Walker's Gospel Center Life book, I mean, this is really kind of the the crux of of one of the things that they want us to understand as, as disciples of Jesus, that minimizing sin um, actually reduces the impact and the power of the the good news in our life. Because when we're crushed under the full weight of our sin, and yet the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done, it is that much more powerful to save you and rescue you from yourself. But when you try to give your own defense, Mm -hmm. to excuse your own sin, what you really end up doing is you end up reducing the level of righteousness of God's standards and the reality of your own sinfulness next to that standard. And and this is why we need a righteous advocate, one who can actually make a defense for us based on his performance and and not ours. Yeah. And if you try to make your own defense, you try to excuse away your need for the perfect finished work of Jesus. And you end up robbing the gospel of its power in your own heart. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, this question is definitely, it hit home. It hits home for me and it's a tough one because uh, David, I know you know nothing about Enneagram, but I'm going to bring it up again. Um, as a two, we are one of the ones that tend towards fear and are motivated by fear. And I think this question really presses towards a, a deeper issue for, I would say, a lot of people, but definitely for me, of just wanting to to defend ourselves so hard because like I care about what people think of me, you know, in a very selfish way. And it's a struggle, but in that 
anything I can do to make sure that no one knows my failures or shortcomings. Like I will defend myself. I will say things and twist the truth. And it, it's a painful reality to like hear this question and be like, uh, like I do that. I self advocate all the time. Like I think through all of my childhood and all those moments that I was like, no, it was him, not me. Or like, you know, they're like, who did this? And like, I'm not saying anything because I, I don't want to be open and honest about it. And it's such a beautiful thing to say that in Christ's advocacy, like one of the biggest ideas for me in this chapter was that it's not that he is erasing those sins. It's that he is, we recognize those sins and he pays for them. So as an advocate, uh, it's owning up to my failures and letting him like defend me for them, which is very different than just trying to like brush it under the rug, you know? And I think that's the mentality for so many of us is we just try to brush our failures under the rug and just hope that, Oh, no one needs to see that. Whereas this challenges us to face that. And I love the last paragraph of the chapter in which, uh, Dane says the following, um, do not minimize your sin or excuse it away. Raise no defense. Simply take it to the one who is already at the right hand of the Father, advocating for you on the basis of his own wounds. Let your unrighteousness and all your darkness and despair drive you to Jesus Christ, the righteous, in all his brightness and sufficiency. And just what a powerful push towards the beauty of the cross and how much we need him in that. And that, again, owning up to the sinful nature that we have and letting him be our defender is so much more freeing than trying to do it in my own strength. Yeah, I don't really have anything to add. That was amazing. Um, yeah, I, I I resonate so much with what you just said, Isaiah. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. maybe I'm a two. I don't know what that means, <laughs> but it's okay. Um, I definitely think as I was reading through it, uh, echoing a little bit of what Kevin said as well, this realization that I'm just not a good advocate. <laughs> I'm, I'm very good at making excuses like top notch. I can give probably anybody a run for their money, but when it comes to actually being able to advocate for myself, this realization that we have a good advocate shouldn't be a discouragement but it should be an encouragement to realize not oh i want to sin more but oh man whenever i do i know exactly i know exactly by whose means this is being made right and it's not on my own strength on my own goodness on my own um merit and so that that is what is encouraging because if, if if your advocate is not a good one it totally changes the way you you approach making a mistake, right? So I think this this realization, like Kevin said, I think it's it's a freeing one, not in the sense of oh great, I have a good advocate so I can do whatever I want, but a great realization of man, whenever I do make a mistake, I know in whose whose hands I'm in, um, and I think that's. That's good news. Yeah, I think uh, I think about like Philippians two twelve, right? Um, 
Paul says, wherefore, my beloved, as you have obeyed, not not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Right. So that, so he he's telling them, he's telling the church of Philippi not to um, dis, discount the reality of our role in our own sanctification and as we're as we're living out obedience to Christ. But when we think about advocacy, advocacy is that 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 liberation that as we're working that out with fear and trembling, um, that we do so knowing that we with reverence for God and His holiness, but rejoicing in worship of Christ because He's our advocate when we failed. You know, all I could think of when you, David, when you said, uh, yeah, I'm actually not a good advocate at all. All I could think of is like this picture of this criminal in a courtroom who's got a really, really good attorney and the turn, the attorney's doing an awesome job. And this guy just is like standing up like, yeah, I'm going to fire my attorney right now. Like I'm going to defend myself. And the judge, you know, you ever watch like those courtroom procedural shows or whatever else. And the, the judge is always like, I mean, that's your right. But, but why? <laughs> why would you want to fire this guy? Like that's us. Yes. Yeah, like we're in the throne room, <laughs> the defense is being given, and we are standing up like, "Nah, Jesus, I got this. I got this." <laughs> and the judge is like, "Uh, what? <laughs> like, yeah. are you sure?" <laughs> like, that's kind of what it feels like. And whenever we, whenever you see those moments in like a movie or a TV show, you're like scratching your head, like, "What's wrong with this guy?" Like, yeah. like what's going on now? I've got that Seinfeld episode stuck in my head where he asks the caddy what to do. Um, shout out to Seinfeld oh. fans out there. But, you know, the reality is, is like we do that and we laugh at it when we see it in other situations. Mm-hmm. And yet as followers of Jesus, this is what we frequently find ourselves doing on a daily basis. Yeah. yeah. Aside from the fact that Kevin is dating himself a little bit. Um, <laughs> wow. <laughs> I know. I'm. You're, <coughs> you're not that old. Um <laughs> Um, ageism is a real thing. It is. Uh, I love, I love people who are slightly older. (laughs) Keep digging the hole. Isaiah. I know I'm, I, it's too late. All right, we're moving on. Um, so seeing some personal application and looking at Christ as our advocate then brings us into a question I want to ask about in ministry. How have you seen yourself or people defending themselves failing to rest in Christ as their advocate, and then ultimately answering the question, how can we call ourselves and others to lay down and rest in Jesus as our advocate instead? Yeah, so as I was thinking through this question, I mean, the first word that comes to mind, even if we just take Kevin's example right now, right, where you have this amazing advocate doing his job, right, like to the to the best best the profession can do. Saving us. Right, and you decide to say, no, no, judge, actually, I got this. Apart from just being absolute lunacy, right? Like, we would just say that person's crazy. Um, it's also very prideful for yeah. you to say, hey, that person is actually doing the perfect job, but I think I can do it better, mm. which is not possible, but here we are, right? And so to answer the question specifically, I think we all naturally have that inclination to be prideful, right? Which is right. why when, when Kevin answered that question, well, I think we all do. I, I think it's pretty much true. It might look differently from one person to another, but I think we all naturally go towards this prideful idea of advocating or excusing ourselves. And I don't think people in leadership positions are alien or foreign to that, right? Like 
they're just normal human beings, yeah. Christians, right? But I think the temptation to excuse or always argue their position to be right is almost greater because so many other people view people in positions of leadership and power as other than, right? Yeah. So someone might look at their pastor as like, he uh, never doesn't have an answer about a certain theological position, right? So then now that pastor might be like, oh, crap, I didn't know that that was true. So now somebody just asked me a random question, and I gave out an answer, and then I'm presented with maybe an argument that I'm like, actually, that sounds a lot better than what I gave, but I can't say that because this individual thinks that I'm right on everything. So now I have to double down yeah. or vice versa. When, when found in a situation where you're like, Oh yeah. Like, you know, clearly presented with, with, with scripture and, and with what occurred, I was in the wrong, but it can be very tempting to be, to preserve image kind of similar to, to what Isaiah was, was talking about. Yeah. And I think what, what has been very clear from this chapter is that what scripture calls us to is a much better way, right? It calls us, whether you're in a leadership position or not, to have this posture of repentance and confession as what they are, which are gifts and beautiful things we get to participate in, not like chores that we have to run away from. And, the reason that I think th those two things are gifts and are things that we should desire is because I really only think you can be open to experiencing that if you are trusting in the advocate that you have, yeah. right? Like if I think I need to earn my way to heaven with my good works, there's no way I'm going to be willing to lay down my arguments and confess my sin and uh and and admit when I'm wrong. But if I do, I'm probably the only one or or peop, you know, Christians should be the the first ones being willing to lay down not just their their arguments but their excuses for for our sins and realizing like, yeah, you're absolutely right. That was wrong. I ask you to forgive me. I will ask the Lord to forgive me. And that's what this chapter, you know, focuses on. It's it's asking us to ask ourselves, who is Jesus in those moments when I'm confronted with my sin, with things that I did wrong? And if we believe that he is our advocate, we should be willing to not just confess our sin to him who is our good advocate, but to be willing to confess when we're wrong to others around us. And so I think, I think, leaders specifically within the church need to do a good job of modeling this because when when people within the church see leaders who are willing to admit yeah I'm to oh man I was wrong that can help them maybe realize oh okay so there's nothing wrong with admitting you're wrong and repenting in fact it's actually what we're called to do um yeah I don't know if you have no, that's really good. Um, maybe to make it practical when we're when we're talking about that facade of perfection that you mentioned mm -hmm. there, which yeah. I, I love that. I think that's super super helpful. And if you don't know what a facade is, it basically it you know it's like a, a mask or or something that looks real but it's fake. 
you know, it's like a lot of, if you ever gone by the house and you see stonework on the front of that house and you're like, oh man, that stonework looks great. And then you walk up and you touch it and it's like some weird material and not yeah. really stone. That's like a facade, right? It looks real, right. but it's not the real thing. Um, I think practically how you, we see people doing this is they oscillate between two, two separate things, pretending and performing. Um, again, plug to the gospel centered life yep. book. Yeah. Great. Um, you know, you either pretend that you have everything under control and when people are, are in your life, right, you put on this this facade uh, everything's okay. Or s- there are some people out there who are really, really disciplined and exercise a lot of control where they try to perform their way through this. Mm-hmm. And they can even probably from a worldly standpoint perform well enough to not get questioned on this facade of per- perfection. Um, and, and you're right in saying that leaders are some of the ones that can struggle with this the most. And, you know, don't minimize and excuse your sin. Let's start there. Yeah. Right? Step into the freedom of Christ's performance and his advocacy. Mm-hmm. Let Jesus be your hope. And let Christian community be a place where you're encouraged to pursue Jesus and his advocacy, not your performance, mm-hmm. right? Like all I could think of when you were using that term facade of, of perfection, the beauty of having Jesus as an advocate is that you don't need a facade of perfection. You just need to proclaim Christ's perfection for you and let him advocate on your behalf. I think one of the most liberating things as a pastor is when I get accused of failure. And and that happens a lot, right? You guys have been around me a lot, right? Like I fail regularly. Mm-hmm. Sometimes people want to weaponize that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't mean like, like it's okay for me as a leader and a pastor to get called out. Like that, that is good. Mm-hmm. That is biblical. That is an act of kindness and God's grace towards me when someone would think highly enough of me to call me out on my sin and trust that the Holy Spirit is going to call me to repentance and faith in Christ. That is a gift. And when I say weaponize it, I mean they want to rip me down and tear me down and or anyone else for that matter. And one of the most liberating things is being able to, the couple of times that this has happened in my life, you know, it doesn't happen very often, is when people are trying to weaponize my own sinfulness and failures against me to be able to look back at them and say, you're absolutely right. Doesn't this make Jesus even more beautiful that we're here to worship him, that we're here to make much of his righteousness, that I, a dirty, filthy sinner, He died in my place and gives me his righteousness and that I stand here as a leader not based upon my own merit or performance or as a Christian based on my own merit or performance, but on the finished work of Jesus Christ and nothing else. If you get to that place, I mean, it is so freeing. Like I had somebody tell me a couple days ago that they were listening to people in our community group and and, and they were like, I was just sitting there and I was like, these people really believe this. 
And I just like after this person had told me that, I'm like, could there be a better compliment for Christians mm. than to say these people really believe that Jesus is good as He says He is? Not like, hey, these people are perfect. Not these per- people like provide great community. Not these people like are the hands and feet of Jesus. By the way, all things that I would love to be known for as a follower of Christ. But man, if we could get one thing right, those people truly believe that Jesus is their advocate and he is their only hope. How powerful would that look to the world around us? And I'm telling you, I'm telling you right now, you'll start seeing sin put to death. You'll start seeing lives transformed. You'll start seeing gospel proclamation. Like if like if we if we get this right, all the other things we practically try to like shove down one another's throats from like a teaching perspective, I think we would just start seeing as an outpouring of the goodness of God and his graciousness towards us. I would add one one last thing there. That was I it was good hearing from you because obviously like feel like Isaiah and I probably, a lot of the things that I was speaking about, I'm like, yeah, I probably make those assumptions sometimes sure. about our pastors, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's so great to like hear from your perspective. But another thing, as you, as you were talking about, I'm like, this practically for sure has to change the way we individually as Christians react when confronted with our sin. But I think it it should also change the way that we approach confronting others with their mm-hmm. sin, right? Like realizing I'm not taking Kevin out to the woodshed to beat him, beat him over his head with a sin. Neither one of you guys could beat me out behind the woodshed. <laughs> That's a fact. I would take both of you. Um, Maybe even at the same time. So you're the basketball court, Kevin. I, um, All right. I fight dirty. I know. I, I am aware. <laughs> I play basketball with you. Um, no bother. But, but instead, like, think about it. Think about it that way. If like the next time you were like, man, like I think, this fellow believer like is doing something that I think is wrong, that is sin. If think about it as I am going to help that individual realize that in, in this moment, he has a good advocate. That there is good reason for him to not just be down on himself, but to realize, like, dude, there is so much better for you. Like, go to Christ. He he's not only going to forgive but make things new. Like this is this is the hope that you have. And we should one expect, like Kevin said, for other believers to not weaponize it, but instead approach us with that mindset. But we should also expect other believers to just be willing to admit wrong, confess their sins and find, you know, repentance and find hope in Christ. Like That is what we are to be pushing one another towards. Mm-hmm. So if if our mentality is, oh, I don't want to confront my sin because I think I'm perfect, wrong. Your mentality is, oh, I just want to confront other people with their wrongs because I want to feel better about myself, also wrong. So I, I just love this balance that you, like, brought up of not just, this doesn't just affect the way we face sin, but even the way that we, confront others with their sin um yeah that was yeah i hadn't made that connection before yeah and it's just i think that's such a great point because at the end of the day our goal is to bring that hope Mm -hmm. in the midst of sin um and obviously this is a struggle for a lot of people like 
Oh my goodness. So often I feel like people struggle with this. Like I've struggled with this, continue to struggle with this. And like people that I like get to spend time with and live life on life with always struggle with this. It happens so much. And, uh, you know, something that we can encourage them in and bring them hope through that and say like, Hey, like God knows you so well and loves you so well, despite that. Mm. Um, and is there to advocate for you in the mess that you have? Mm. Uh, like let's be open and honest and see him bring life in that I think is so, so huge. Because one thing I wanted to point out that I was thinking as I was reading the last question was that first two words when it said in ministry and the reality that I asked that question to everyone, not just Kevin because he's a pastor, but the reality is we are all ministers uh, in this life. And so this applies to all of us as we try to love and care for one another and within the church. So like for those of you who are listening this is for each and every one of you to take with you that you can be loved and love others well by pushing them towards the love of Christ and the advocacy that he has for us. Yeah. That's good. Any last words? I've got one. I can encourage you um, at all. I, I, would, I would take what David said to heart and and what, what Isaiah said and what I've said, and I would just say this. Right? If you want to get something right, you want to do ministry well or you want to love others well or even want to love yourself well, um, weaponize and preach to yourself the gospel, not the performance. Right? If, you're, if you're sitting there thinking, hey, I need to talk to my kids about this or I'm sitting here and my, my wife or my spouse or my husband, you know, like they've done something wrong or I'm having this issue with my coworker at work or whatever it may be, this Christian or I'm looking at myself and I, I can't believe I continue to do this, right? Don't grow weary in preaching the good news of how good your advocate is. He's better in your performance. Don't grow tired of that. Right? Make that the goal. Amen. So with that, uh, we will end this episode. Um, be sure to, if you felt encouraged by this, please share this with others so that they can be encouraged as well. Um, if you are listening to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever it may be, I don't really know all the places. Stitcher. That, yeah, that people actually go to. Um, but be sure to like, subscribe, follow, etc. All those things. Napster. That, <laughs> thank you, am I, am I, Sorry, I'm dating myself again. Um, sorry. Some of these aren't actually options. LimeWire. Uh, some of these are not options. Isn't Napster a thing again? <laughs> I don't oh, dear. know. We had, we're, we had such a great ending, too. <laughs> but... <laughs> With that, if you thank you, David. <laughs> if you have any questions or you'd like to continue this conversation or you'd like a book, please email us at podcast at alatheagainesville.com. Um we're we had a great time today and hope to see you next time. With that, go and be the church. No, we can even just wait for like a whole other minute just to really work. Can we go? Please. Thanks. Thank you, Kevin. All right. That's how you appropriately use that.
All right. How weird will it be if I sit on my hands throughout this entire podcast because my hands it's are cold? cold. Yeah. I don't think it. I mean, I feel great because I was just in a hot car and I chose to have my windows down. So, uh, but that's my own fault.